Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Once again, I'd like to welcome our new affiliate, KGYAM 1240 Olympia, Washington. So very proud uh, to be a part of KGYAM, and we'll add KGYAM 1240 to our growing list of affiliates. You know who you are, and um, thank you. Thank you for uh, including The Conspiracy Show on your weekly schedule. Uh, receiving a lot of email after a recent uh, program on uh, where the, when I asked you whether you're preparing or are you prepared for a possible financial collapse, some of the email very positive, saying, uh, you know, great show. Others thought I was being a little gloomy. But I think we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. And if, we, if you know, we come out the other side and, and we are, in fact, in a recovery, what's the harm? What's the harm in, in storing, you know, three months' worth of food supply and water? What's the, what's the harm in, uh, in going out and, and buying a little physical uh, gold and putting that in a safe place? I think that's just prudent. And let's hope it never comes to that. But I think we need to be prepared. I mean, I wish I had a crystal ball and could see just six months from now to see how is this thing going to work out. You know, I was reading a, um, actually someone sent me this. This is an old story that actually appeared. It was the front page of the New York Times a couple of years ago. And it was a serious story about ESP, again, on the front page of the New York Times. So someone sent me this. I just want to uh, read you a little bit of it. Uh, I think this is very interesting. One of psychology's most respected journals has agreed to publish a paper presenting what its author describes as strong evidence for extrasensory perception, the ability to sense future events. The decision may delight believers in so-called paranormal events, but it is already mortifying scientists. Advanced copies of the paper to be published this year, again, this was 2011, to be published this year in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology have circulated widely among psychological researchers in recent weeks and have generated a mixture of amusement and scorn. The paper describes nine unusual lab experiments performed over the past decade by its author, Daryl J. Bem, an emeritus professor at Cornell, testing the ability of college students to accurately sense random events, like whether a computer program will flash a photograph on the left side or the right side of its screen. The studies included more than 1,000 subjects. Some scientists say the report deserves to be published in the name of open inquiry. Others insist that its acceptance only accentuates fundamental flaws in the evaluation and peer review of research in the social sciences. Quote, it's craziness, pure craziness. I can't believe a major journal is allowing this work in, said Ray Hyman, an emeritus professor of psychology at the University of Oregon and longtime critic of ESP research. I think it's just an embarrassment for the entire field, end quote. The editor of the journal, Charles Judd, a psychologist at the University of Colorado, said the paper went through the journal's regular review process. Four reviewers made comments on the manuscript, he said, and these are very trusted people. It's interesting. When scientists actually look into ESP, they conduct studies under scientific conditions and come up with positive results, it's still not good enough for what I'll call orthodox scientific thinking. They will still scorn it and dispute it. Well, my next guest is also a man of science, and he's also studied ESP. He's a physicist, author, and was a pioneer in the development of the laser and laser applications. 
He holds his Bachelor of Science in Physics from Queens College and did graduate work in physics at Columbia University. He's received two National Aeronautics and Space Administration Awards for inventions and contributions in lasers and laser communications. He's published over 100 scientific papers on lasers, plasma, physics, and ESP research. In the 1970s and 1980s, Russell Targ co-founded and worked for the CIA-sponsored Stanford Research Institute's Investigation into Psychic Abilities. His work in this new area called Remote Viewing was published in Nature, the Proceedings of the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers, and in Proceedings of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. In 1983 and 1984, he accepted invitations to present remote viewing demonstrations and address the USSR Academy of Sciences on his research. In 1997, Russell Targ retired from Lockheed Martin Missiles and Space uh, as a senior staff scientist where he developed airborne laser systems for the detection of wind shear. He now teaches remote viewing workshops worldwide and continues to write. He is a co-author of eight books dealing with the scientific investigation of psychic abilities, including Limitless Mind, A Guide to Remote Viewing, Transformation of Consciousness, and his autobiography, Do You See What I See? Memoirs, Memoirs of a Blind Biker. His latest book is entitled The Reality of ESP, A Physicist's Proof of Psychic Abilities. Russell Targ, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm very happy to be with you. You said so many things in your introduction that's interesting for me. In Judaism, they say there's no ox like an orthodox. (laughs) You say orthodox science doesn't know what to make out of psychic abilities. And the New York Times did indeed publish a precognitive criticism of Daryl Bem's paper that was going to publish six months later. So I thought that's very unusual. It's almost like they were setting him up when they published that paper, when they published that article, rather, on the front page. That's right. It was ridiculous. They're criticizing a paper that had not yet been published. Yeah, we see that they time and time into again. They looked the future and saw they weren't going to like it. <laughs> how did you, uh, how does a physicist pioneering the development of lasers and lasers ap- laser applications, how, do you, how did you first get involved in the study of, of ESP? Well, I got involved in ESP growing up in New York City where I was interested in stage magic. So I used to do magic where I would pretend to read the minds of people in the audience. And I would occasionally have flashes or pictures pertaining to the life situation of the person whose mind I was pretending to read. And as a young scientist... I decided that it was more interesting to learn about the research in parapsychology than to just continue fooling people. So I met J.B. Ryan and read the journals and became affiliated with the uh, Theosophy Society, Theosophical Society and learned that there's quite a lot of serious work going on by psychologists at that time investigating psychic abilities. This is now 50 years later and the physicists have pretty much taken over from the psychologists, with the exception of Daryl Bem, that is modern physics is very interesting. I, I went to two major conferences, at the University of California, San Diego, dealing with what physicists call retrocausality. Uh, physicists are interested in how photons can affect one another before they've actually reached the two slits, and you have interference where. Um, one photon seems to know that the other one is coming. This is a 
hot topic in modern modern physics called retrocausality. Uh, Daryl Bem is interested in how it is that you do better if you study for an exam after you take it. In one of his experiments that was my favorite in the series of nine, is he would show students uh, 48 words, and you'd have to remember them as best you can. You see a word every two seconds, and the experiment is remember all the words you can, and when you're done, write down all the words you remember. That's the experiment. Very simple. After they're done with that, he will then show them half those words and say, write down whether each of those remaining 24 words are animal, vegetable, or mineral. Pay attention to them. And even though the later words are chosen randomly, students will remember the words that they saw at a later time in greater abundance than the words that they didn't get feedback on. So it says when you take an exam in school, if there's a question you can't answer, run home and find out what the answer is. It will help you on your exam. Makes sense. Makes sense. And good students uh, always go over the exam right after they take it. It's a common thing for a serious student to do. Right. Right after you take a final exam or a midterm, you immediately sit down with your friend and go over the exam and say, "Is there was there any anything there you didn't understand?" And that will improve your score, according to the published papers of Daryl Bem. <clears throat> it's like a precognitive dream. Precognitive dreams are the first experience that many people have in the psychic realm, where you dream on a Sunday night that you see an elephant uh, walking down the main street in Toronto. Now, it's been a long time since there's an elephant walking down the main drag, if ever. So you have this dream, and you tell your partner, I had this crazy dream about an elephant, and it was not a wish-fulfillment dream. It's not something I'm worried about. It is a very clear dream that I had Sunday night. And then Monday morning on television, you see that the zoo is coming to Toronto, and the elephant escaped from the zoo and was rampaging down the street. So I would say that Monday morning's picture of the elephant running down the street was the cause, the trigger or your, of your having the dream the previous night. And a lot of that is going on. Sure is. People sure is. often have dreams triggered by what they see the following day. Well, we, I think we all do, but we don't keep... This, this is why it's important, I think, to keep a, a dream a journal, to write down what you, what you dreamt, because it's... You know, many of us have these, but then we don't pay attention, we forget, and it slips by us. But how did how did it happen for you at Stanford? How does a, a prestigious institution like Stanford University? Uh, uh, I mean, I'm, it's really astounding that they would they would uh, get involved in something like this. I tend to think of these institutions as re- incredibly conservative, skeptical. Well, this is Stanford Research Institute, right? Not quite as dodgy as the university. My colleague Hal Putoff and I were already well-known as laser pioneers. So we had done a lot of stuff, and we were known in the community as people who were able to do difficult tasks. So that I was at a meeting, a NASA meeting, and I had support from Werner von Braun and James Fletcher, the administrator of NASA, 
that they would help support a program if I found a home for it. So I went to SRI with Putoff and said, I got money from NASA. Von Braun said it's okay. Uh, Edgar Mitchell will support us. And um, Charlie Anderson, the president of SRI, said, you can do this if you keep a low profile. And we did our best to do that until Uri Geller came along. Okay, listen, Russell, i got to take a time out. We'll come back. Some pretty heavy hitters getting behind you at uh, Stanford Research Institute. Russell Targ is my guest, and his latest book is called The Reality of ESP, a physicist's proof of psychic abilities, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Russell Targ is with us, co-founder of the CIA-sponsored Stanford Research Institute's Investigation into Psychic Abilities. His work in this new area called Remote Viewing was published in Nature, the Proceedings of the Institute of Electrical uh, and Electronics Engineers, and in Proceedings of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, and his new book is entitled The Reality of ESP, A Physicist's Proof of Psychic Ability. So back to the uh, Stanford Research Institute. Uh, d- tell the me- reason that I say we have proof of psychic abilities yes. is that the evidence is so strong it would be statistically unreasonable to deny it at this point. We've done many, many experiments now, statistically significant, about a million to one or more, and the significant statistical significance of our work is ten times greater, or more than ten times greater, the proof that aspirin prevents heart attacks. So the National Institutes of Health, NIH in Washington, did experiments to show that aspirin prevents heart attacks, and they stopped the experiment early because it was so clear that the people getting the aspirin had better outcomes, that they didn't want to deprive the control people of the aspirin. The effect size, the strength of our experiments, is more than ten times greater than the proof that aspirin prevents heart attacks. So let's talk about some of these experiments. I've sort of studied or followed some of the experiments of people like Cliff Pickover and, and Dr. Gary Schwartz with his blinded field experiment about precognitive dreams, which you were discussing earlier. Tell me about some of the experiments that are going on. Well, let's start with Stanford Research Institute and some of those early experiments. Well, the experiment that convinced me beyond doubt that psychic abilities are real is we're working with a psychic policeman, Pat Price. Yes. And uh, CIA was very interested in him because he's the only one we ever had who could read things at a distance. And the things that he was assigned to read were file drawers in the National Security, the NSA. Yes. In America, they call it NSA, says for no such agency. <laughs> so he was given the coordinates of the NSA in Virginia, and he described what it looked like and was then able to read the names on the file drawers. And the NSA got very angry about that. They said, why did you pick the most secure place in the whole country to target these guys, you made a big problem for us. And a few weeks later, we got a call from the police department of Berkeley, California, telling us Patricia Hurst had been kidnapped, which we already knew. Right. 
and uh, they didn't know what to do. She was kidnapped uh, by a terrorist organization. They didn't know anything about them, the SLA, Symbionese Liberation Army. They were looking for Symbia on the map and couldn't find it. Uh, could we help? And Pat said, sure I can. That's what I did as a police commissioner all my life. I can do that. So Price and my colleague, Hal Putoff, and I went to Berkeley, and Price immediately said, just show me the mug book. Show me the picture book with all the usual suspects. And he turned page after page and then put his finger on a guy. Is where the expression, he, he fingered him. And he said, that's the ringleader. That was Donald DeVries, and that was the right answer. No one knew that on that day. We didn't know that until the end of the week and when DeVries surfaced. But Price pulled him out spontaneously from this big picture book. And Price said, but uh, if you re really want some help, I could tell you where the kidnap car is, the white station wagon. And I see it about 50 miles north of here on the right side of the freeway in a gravel driveway in front of a diner. And on the other side of the freeway are two big white gas storage tanks and there's a pedestrian overpass across the freeway. This is what Price has volunteered, very much like I just said it to you. No meditation, no coughing and puffing. You know, you want the car that's 50 miles north on the right. And one of the detectives said, well, I know where that is. Uh, it's on the way to my house in Vallejo, north of here. Twenty minutes later, a police car was sent to the diner. They found the station wagon, and there were still cartridges rolling around on the floorboards of the station wagon that matched the cartridges we had seen earlier in the day rolling around under the bed of Patricia Hearst's little um, accommodation at uh, UC Berkeley. So we knew for a fact that they had found the car and took price essentially no time standing in the police station with a mug book in front of him to tell the police where to go to find the kidnap car. And I still think of that as that's as close to magic as I've ever seen. That is remarkable. It's a person whose awareness just fills all of space and all of time. Ask me anything and I'll tell you the answer. And uh, Pat Price, what was his reliability? Was he 100%? Was he 80%? What was he? Well, the formal experiment we did which is a kind of psychic hide-and-go-seek. We had 60 possible hiding places in the San Francisco Bay Area that were put together by my colleague and the division director. And I didn't know those. I didn't want to know them. And then each day in this series of nine trials, they would randomly choose one of these target locations after I was sequestered with uh, Price in an electrically shielded room and then a half hour later, uh, my partner and a CIA agent or a lab director would go to one of these sites. So I would be sitting with Price and say, okay, Hal's at his location now. What do you see? What's Hal experiencing? And Price would say something like, uh, I see a watery area. There's a, a cross. There's two walkways crossing each other. It's like a botanical garden. And that was the day they went to the botanical garden. Another day, he said, I see a boat dock with little boats with their masts stepped, and there's a Chinese-looking restaurant next to it. And that was the day they went to the boat dock. 
So we did nine of those, and Pat Price generated nine transcripts, like I've just described to you. And they had to be matched in a blind fashion with the formal driving instructions to the place. So a SRI analyst would take the nine transcripts and the nine directions and go to the nine places and try and match them up. And by you would expect one first-place match and one second-place match, one third-place match, so forth. Well, he got seven first-place matches. Mm. So what that means is that if Price... If Hal Putoff had been kidnapped seven days in a row, I miss, if, if Hal had been kidnapped nine days in a row, Price would have found him the first place he looked in seven out of the nine trials. That's so remarkable. He was seven out of nine first place matches, odds of better than one in a million. My word. And this was, re- and this we was had, repeated, we had no I'm guessing. publishing that in the Proceedings of the IEEE or Nature. A very clean experiment. Would you have trouble publishing that study today? Um, I don't know that. It was a very good experiment. Hal and I were well known in the scientific community. Uh, we did another experiment. We were asked by the CIA to find somebody who is not a famous psychic, and I chose my friend Hella Hammett, who is a Life magazine photographer, and we did the psychic hide-and-go-seek where I'm again the uh, psychic uh, tour guide sitting in the dark with the viewer trying to elicit from her the information. And we did nine trials with her, and she was even more successful than the police commissioner. My word. My word. So we published those two trials together, both in Nature and in the IEEE. And people all over the world have done that. So that if you go to Google now, you'll find two and a half million pages dealing with remote viewing. There's a lot of pages for something people don't think exists. Or they they know they may have they may know of uh, the CIA funded program but they don't necessarily believe that it works. Now the CIA and, and was the Def- Department of Defense also uh one of the uh, the the backers of this program? Yes, uh Army Intelligence Command what we call uh, INSCOM, supported us and wanted us to set up a Army Psychic Corps in Maryland at Fort Meade. Yes. So we chose 30 Army intelligence people to investigate, and of those 30, we chose six to work with us. So we did a similar training. We had each of our six selectees who would spend a week with us. We'd do six trials with each of them. So at the end of six weeks, we had 36 trials with these people. And again, you'd expect uh, one-sixth of them to be first place. You'd expect six first-place matches, and we had 19 first-place matches. It was hugely significant working with not particularly psychic people. These are Army officers that we chose based on an interview that we just made up. We're not psychologists. We just interviewed all these people, and from the 30 we talked to, we chose six, who in our assessment as physicists, we chose to be psychic people. And these people did outstandingly well. And that gave us the idea increasingly that remote viewing may not be so hard to do. We think that it may be a general ability, 
that many, many people are able to quiet their mind and describe the images in their awareness corresponding to what's going on and what it looks like at a distant location. How successful was this core of psychic spies during the Cold War? What sort of things... They're very successful. The way to measure the success of our program is we started in 1972, and we were supported a couple of million dollars a year for the next 23 years by CIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, uh, Army Intelligence, NASA, and Navy, and other, other Air, U.S. Air Force Intelligence. So we were supported 23 years as a functioning part of military intelligence providing information. And it's very, very hard to get continuing follow-on support to do anything in the scientific world. To say, we had a very good year, we'd like to continue this experiment for another couple of years, very hard to get follow-on support. The fact that we were supported continuously by the same group of agencies for 23 years is, in a way, the best evidence that I could offer you that we were doing something useful because they wouldn't keep supporting us if we weren't doing something useful. Exactly. And yet, I believe, I, I forget which CIA director said this, but... Robert Gates. Robert Gates, ha, huh, interesting, said that the reason that this program was shut down was that it wasn't effective. I know you'd be very shocked if I told you that CIA agents sometimes lie. I would be absolutely shocked. <laughs> and so that was not true. He said it was shut. He shut it down because he didn't like defending something that he was teased for since at that time we did not have a good idea how ESP works and he would be happy as a government bureaucrat to get rid of the psychics in California if, as he said, America no longer has any serious enemies anymore. Cold War is over, the Berlin Wall is down, we don't need to support the Psychic Army Corps, is what he said. Are you still bound by uh, sort of operating under the uh, you know the, the uh, security clearance? I mean, are you able to divulge certain uh, certain projects that the psychic uh, core was involved in? I can describe pretty much everything that was done because I have a letter. Yeah, I'm eager not to go to jail just like everybody else, so I have a letter from the CIA uh, with uh, slightly redacted copies of the reports that I talk about, and I published the letter from the CIA. Now, were there instances during the Cold War where these psychic spies that you helped train perhaps were able to avert some sort of Cold War catastrophe, locating a, a I don't know, a, a target that, that was crucial, you know, during that period? Now, that's a very interesting question. I don't know of anything we were able to avert that's my favorite question that pertains to that kind of causality. We had an experiment that was a lot like that early in the program. The CIA asked Ingo Swan, who's the one who taught us all how to do remote viewing. Yes. They asked Swan, what's going on at these coordinates, latitude and longitude, on Thursday? And this is Monday. So three days from now, what will be happening at this location? And Swan said, it looks to me like some kind of pyrotechnic explosion. I see beautiful arcs and sparks in the sky, hemispherical, colorful displays. 
and the roar of trucks in the background. And um, with that information and what they had already suspected, the CIA was able to say, yes, the Chinese will do the atomic bomb test that we thought they were going to do, and it's going to fail. Remarkable. Because Listen, what, Russell, what i got to jump in here. i got to jump in. What Juan described is a failed test. Ah, amazing. Okay, let, let me take a time out. We'll come back. Russell Targ, the reality of ESP here on The Conspiracy Show. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Russell Targ is with us co-founder of the CIA-sponsored Stanford Research Institute's Investigation into Psychic Abilities and uh, this new field at the time called Remote Viewing, the Development of Psychic Spies for uh, the U.S. Army. Uh, you mentioned Ingo Swan, of course, who just passed well, I away. Say, in the reality of ESP, in my new book, I also tell people how to learn to do remote viewing. Because I have a chapter called uh, Working with a Partner, where you and your partner can develop your psychic abilities and learn to separate the psychic signal from the mental noise, as Ingo taught us to do. And you're going to remind your listeners that Ingo was a father of remote viewing, and he unfortunately died a few weeks ago. Uh, yes, back in, I guess it was January. Um, now, was he one of the best? Yes, Ingo and Pat Price and Hella Hammett and Joe McMonagall were, were the best remote viewers that we saw. So they, they were in a class by themselves. <coughs> but we've seen a lot of other really excellent remote viewing. Many people in the Army Psychic Corps did well, and we had other people at SRI who did well. What made them so special? If this is something that anyone can learn... And I'm guessing they, they had no formal training. Was this just, I mean, are they more highly tuned? What, what is it about? What was I think it about? It's like Ingo? a musical ability. That is, anybody can learn to play the piano somewhat. You can learn to play a little Mozart, a little Bach, make yourself happy, amuse your friends. But by and large, no matter how much you practice, it's not going to get you to Carnegie Hall. And remote viewing is like that. With a little, when I have a workshop, I may have a couple of dozen people or 40 people. Uh, what I promise, and, and people have spent a lot of money to do this and come from far away, and I promise them that everybody will either do something psychic or see something psychic. And what I mean by that is within our two or three days together and maybe doing six different remote viewing activities, everybody will either have a striking hit describing uh, an object very, very well, or their neighbor will describe their object very well. So I, I've never, and I've been teaching now for a decade all over the world, and I've never had anybody complain to me or the management, and gee, I heard a lot about this stuff, it doesn't seem to work. This kind of magic is easier to do than you might think. What does it say about the human mind and, and, and consciousness that we have this ability? It says that our consciousness is non-local. 
Does the modern physics has finally caught up with this? This is a OLA. This remote viewing is not new age. That is, 1,200 years ago, the Buddhists were writing in detail about how to quiet your mind and move from a space of suffering where you're spending time defending your ego, and you can move from this conditioned awareness into spacious or naked awareness where you can see the universe as it really is. And Padmasambhava, who's a great Buddhist teacher of the 8th century, wrote a book, a lot like an earlier book of mine. His book is called Self-Liberation Through Seeing with Naked Awareness. Is how to move from conditioned awareness into the spacious realm. And he described in detail how to get rid of mental noise, how to give up your desire to name and grasp onto your images, entirely understood and practiced 1,200 years ago and earlier than that. And I have a chapter in my book about early Buddhist teachings where they talk in detail about seeing into the distance, seeing into the future, diagnosing the ill, healing the sick, talking to the dead, remembering past lives with recipes for how to do that. The reality of ESP, a physicist's proof of psychic abilities. So how does ESP work then? Does it have anything to do with quantum physics? Uh, It does not have anything to do with quantum physics. It has to do with the nature of the space and time in which we live. A consequence of quantum physics, one of the things that makes quantum physics work is the idea that we live in a non-local space-time that is a multi-dimensional space-time where some things that were born together remain entangled with one another. Schrodinger, Ernst Schrodinger, the great physicist of the 1920s who perfected quantum mechanics, noticed that it was predicted that if photons are born together, they remain entangled, travel away from each other at the speed of light, And if you grab the one on the left, it will affect the one on the right. Einstein hated that idea, talked about spooky connection at a distance. And then in the 1970s, that was proved to be correct in experiments at Berkeley and then experiments in Paris and lately experiments in Budapest by Anton Zeilinger, who has done many, many experiments showing that these entangled photons do affect one another even though they're traveling at the speed of light away from each other. And this is all because we live in a non-local space-time. So these photon experiments are not the cause of ESP. But the fact that we live in a non-local space-time allows the photons to be entangled and you and me to be entangled as well. All right, Russell, we'll take another time out. We'll come back and expound on that point, I guess. Before the Big Bang, all protons were entangled, so it stands to reason that after the Big Bang, they remain thus. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hang around. Truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Just a, uh, a programming note. 
Next week, as we approach the 45th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, William Francis Pepper will be on the program. William Francis Pepper was the uh, the lawyer, the last lawyer for James Earl Ray, and in fact launched a civil trial in Memphis in 1999, which exonerated James Earl Ray. The jury came back and said that James Earl Ray was not responsible for the assassination of the civil rights leader, Dr. King. Also joining us on the program will be a former member of the U.S. House of Representatives, Cynthia McKinney, during her time in Congress, very active in trying to see a number of papers relating to King's assassination released to the public. So that's uh, next week, William Francis Pepper and Cynthia McKinney right here on the program. Russell Targ, physicist, author, co-founder of the remote viewing program at the Stanford Research Institute is with me and his new book is The Reality of ESP, A Physicist's Proof of Psychic Abilities. A skeptic would say, and I'm sure you've heard all the arguments, Russell, but a skeptic might say, well, if this ability exists, why wouldn't, for example, someone like uh, an Ingo Swan uh, have become a multi-multi-millionaire if they could foresee, for example, uh, stock market prices or the you know the rise of gold and silver? I know you did an experiment involving well, silver. I can tell you two stories about that. Just before you called me, I was reading the New York Times as I do each every Sunday, and I read the financial page, and I saw the problem in Cyprus has been resolved. And I thought, that could happen in America. Maybe I should get some cash. And I actually walked into another room and proposed to my wife that we should get a couple of thousand dollars in cash and just have it in the house in case of a calamity. Now, we've been married for a decade, never talked about any fears about a crash or hiding money or having cash, blah, blah, blah. One hour later, I'm on the show with you. And your commercial says it's very important to have some cash or gold in the house because of the coming conspiracy. So a person interested in psychic things might say that your voice of doom and gloom saying, be ready for the collapse, have some money at the house, that event might have triggered my fearful thoughts an hour before. It's not a striking event, except I've never had cash in the house never thought about doing it, and that's just what they instructed me to do. So what I would say is that my radio program at 9 o'clock caused me to have the fearful thoughts at 8 o'clock and start thinking about calamity. And Right. But you also stuff. used remote viewing to invest in the silver market, didn't you? Yes, we did. Apart from my puny little experience with the newspaper, we actually made $120,000 forecasting silver, and Ingo is not the viewer. Another experienced remote viewer did that for us. Right after it left SRI, created a company called Delphi Associates. And each week for nine weeks, we would forecast whether the market would go up a little or up a lot, down a little or down a lot. Each of our calls, we were correct nine weeks in a row in a one and four game. And that's how we made our $100,000. It's very hard to do anything in life nine times in a row correctly. And this was published on the front page of the Wall Street Journal the following year. And then Nova and BBC Horizon made a film featuring this, interviewing people on Wall Street, talking to our broker, and verifying that we really uh, did this. Now, as I mentioned earlier, it's very hard to read anything. 
So in this case, would be nice to have the psychic read the big board on the commodity exchange. But instead, we did something called associative remote viewing, where he had to describe the correct object on the broker's desk. Uh, there was an up object and a down object and so forth. Each week, we'd have different objects, and the viewer had to describe, what will I put in your hand next Friday? You can't you can't read the board at the commodity exchange, but you can describe what I'm going to put in your hand. We call that associative remote viewing. And in my book, in the reality VSP, I describe in detail how we did that forecasting. And there is now a increasing interest, partly because of Daryl Bem's work, partly because of some indefatigable workers from the Army Psychic Program. We now have a organization called International Remote Viewing Association is IRVA.org and they're very interested in applying psychic ability it's not a science organization I've been trying for 40 years to get them to publish their work but they're interested in finding lost children uh, investing in the market uh, investing in sporting games that is to say gambling so uh, Irv is interested in applied remote viewing, uh, but your listeners might like to go to the website irva.org, or if you want to find out what I'm doing, I have a website, which is esp.research.com. I've linked up and to your you, site as well on my site, uh, Russell. Uh, so yes, so, esp. So if research. people want to communicate with me, they can just go to my website and I'll answer their email. But we were perfectly successful in forecasting silver and there's now quite a lot of activity there's my, I do most of my email on my cell phone and my phone is just chiming along during the day with a variety of people who are having success both in forecasting the market and in sporting events principally in sporting events because the odds are better you mentioned uh, the CIA director Robert Gates at the time, uh, uh, basically shutting down the program because of some. It was a because he was embarrassed. He but, didn't like being teased. Right, but do you do you suspect uh, the, the Cold War was over? We right. were no longer worried about having a bomb dropped on our head. But do you suspect? Let's, let's get rid of the psychic nonsense. But do you suspect though that that program is still at some level operating under the radar? If it's so successful, I mean, why wouldn't they keep it? Well, I suspect that it's not. Uh, it, there could be a ESP program in the basement of the Pentagon that I don't know about. That's definitely possible. Uh, I would say that's under 10% likelihood because it requires a group of people in the government who are both very intelligent and very courageous, and I don't see any people like that right now. What about the Russians or the Chinese? The Russians and the Chinese were endeavoring to do remote viewing, but they were not so successful. The Chinese claim success and just do lousy experiments. That is, China has a Confucian problem in that you can't criticize a person's experiment or they get very angry with you, like criticizing their, their wife or their children. So Chinese do experiments, but they're generally terrible experiments, ill-conceived. Uh, the Russians were unable to have the success that we had because it's hard to be psychic in a slave state because in order to be psychic you have to be willing to be wrong but in England and Scandinavia and Iceland and Italy 
there's lots of psychic work published. In fact, the most psychic group of people I've ever met are the Italian women who took part in my experiment, who were much more psychic as a group than anybody else they ever worked with. And I don't understand that. That's the research program available to somebody. Why are the Italian women so strikingly more psychic than, say, the women of Silicon Valley? Interesting. Very interesting. Something in the culture, perhaps? I don't know. Uh, they have more permission to be what they want to be. Perhaps. And police departments are utilizing psychics all the time, but they don't publicly acknowledge it. I guess, again, this embarrassment factor. There are now several books about police using psychic ability, and that's another activity at the International Remote Viewing Association. Irva is very interested in working with the police, and there are several groups of people there helping police find criminals. Why is the scientific community so aggressively antagonistic towards this kind of research? I mean, there are some brave people like yourself and... I mentioned uh, Dr. Gary Schwartz and others, but by and large, the science community wants no part of this, and if any study comes out, they just pile on and try and discredit it. What's at stake well, for Well, remember that there's a lot of fraud. I mean, in the Victorian times, there are a lot of fake mediums, and you can walk down every street in a big city, and there's somebody reading your fortune, reading your palm, telling you what's going to happen. So there's a lot of fake... It's, it's like bad money drives out good money. Uh, every time you get a fake fortune teller, it makes it harder for a genuine scientist to avoid looking like a flake. They're, oh, yeah, you want to investigate the future? Isn't that what Madame Catherine does down the street? So it's hard to be taken seriously until we have a good theory for how it works. But even when they're presented with this, with, with data and good scientific uh, studies, they still won't accept it, it seems. Well, to get our work published by the radio electrical engineers, we had to go to Bell Labs and demonstrate remote viewing and set up an experiment to be done by the editor of the journal. He did an experiment. He would hide every day for five days and have somebody in his group try and describe which place he had gone to hide, and that worked perfectly, and he published my paper. The empirical value works out. When we make a lot of money in the market, we, again, get a lot of attention. So I encourage people to consider moving into the spacious realm, consider sitting quietly and realizing that their awareness is non-local. It is not true that who they are is what they see in the mirror in the morning. That's a big cause of suffering. You're much more spacious than that. And you can incorporate these psychic abilities into your life in a variety of ways. How long would it take, Russell, if I wanted to become a really good remote viewer? Well, if you wanted to experience remote viewing, I would say work with a friend, and within a week you will be seeing psychic things happening that you'll be telling people about. It probably takes a few more weeks to get. You get better and better. The trick is, to separate the psychic signal from the mental noise. If I tell you I've got an object on my desk and I want you to describe it, you'll say, I know what it is, it's a Swiss Army knife. And I will say, no, no, don't tell me the name, just describe the image that comes into your awareness. Tell me about the shape and the form, and it takes you about a week to definitively give up your desire to name the thing and just describe the shape and the form and the color. 
because in the psychic realm, things don't have names. That is, you have to describe just what it looks like and what you're experiencing. They're just a collection of tightly packed atoms, really, aren't they? Russell, a, right. a real pleasure to meet you. I'd love to have you on again. Perhaps sometime we could do a, a remote viewing experiment on the air. I could do that. I'd love to. Again. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you. The reality of ESP, Russell Targ. Thank you. Tim Spreen, thank you to you. Back next week, again, William Francis Pepper, Cynthia McKinney, the state execution of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In the meantime, don't be afraid. Nothing concealed that won't be revealed. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.